Hello, we're Project 6 and we're a charity working with people in South and West Yorkshire. We deliver a range of services to support people with alcohol and other drug use to help individuals, families and communities to make meaningful and sustainable change in their well-being and you're listening to our podcast. So the purpose of this, we wanted to share some ideas and different viewpoints on how we can improve drug and alcohol support, work that's already taking place and what the future could look like, and especially how we can challenge and even dismantle the stigma and discrimination associated with problematic alcohol and drug use. Why? Because that's what the people who come to our service say is what matters to them. So this time I'm talking to Dr. David Patton. David is a senior lecturer in criminology at the University of Derby and his work seeks to place marginalised, vulnerable and excluded population groups at the centre of knowledge and power. Recently, David completed a photo voice research project alongside people in recovery from alcohol and other drug use. Now, if you've never heard of photo voice, you're probably not alone but it's a way of conducting research that brings people with lived experience of the topic in as researchers. I'm not sure that will have made it much clearer, so I'll let David provide a bit more background about the Pathways to Recovery project. So the current project kind of really was birthed out of a previous project, which was an NIHR-funded project um, and really what that did was it mapped um, drug recovery pathways across Europe which was the first of its kind really because I think a lot of what we know about drug recovery comes from America so we're very keen to look at kind of pathways across Europe so they've done this mixed methods study which was really around kind of doing um, surveys and also qualitative interviews and once all of that data was uh, gathered and analyzed we then invited the research participants to then come in and to translate the results. And so as academics, we, we thought, okay, maybe we'll kind of create a little uh, workbook um, about some of the key findings. We love kind of graphs and statistics. And when we suggested that, they kind of laughed at us and kind of said, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something far more creative. And so what they created was this online digital kind of whiteboard of assets and so that really got us thinking, actually, the language that we're using to communicate this kind of potentially life-changing information um, is not really connecting with the, one of the key audiences that we need to. And with that project, we, we kind of invited the participants partway through the research cycle. So typically you'd start with, okay, what's the research question? You design your instruments and then you would kind of uh, analyze the data, write it up and then disseminate it. So with the current project, the photo voice project, um, what we decided to do is rather than invite the research subjects to come in halfway through the process, we wanted them to be there at the very start. So instead of us being the researchers, what we did is that we trained people at Project 6 and, and three other kind of recovery organizations to be researchers. One of the ways in which we were going to gather the data this time rather than doing kind of surveys, we were going to use um, photo voice. Now, in layperson's terms, I guess really what that means is that you kind of equip people to use a camera to collect the evidence. And so what we said to the people who took part in that was, what has worked in your recovery? 
if you had to kind of take that as a snapshot through the lens of the photograph, what would you want to show somebody? And then part two was to use kind of creative writing because we all know that, you know, you can look at a photograph and actually you might take very different interpretations as to what the emphasis or the focus is on from the photograph, from the image. So we wanted them to describe in their own words, what does that photograph represent to you and why has that thing worked? So, and I think that powerful combination of seeing through the lens and through the point of viewness of somebody in recovery completely gives a different insight and a depth and a richness that isn't captured by a survey, nor from an academic's kind of translation of those sorts of findings. So what you get um, on the website that we've curated, um, pathways to recovery.co.uk, is that first-hand insight into those with lived experience of the issue who've transformed from that addiction phase through to turning their lives around, their acceptance of identity around, and who are now living free not only of drug use, but have increased kind of levels of well-being and of quality of life. So it's really a, a collection, if you like, of local drug recovery evidence bases through photographs and through creative writing. How has that different way of working felt for you as an academic and as a researcher on this project? So I'm very passionate in, in all of my work, wherever I can, to kind of metaphorically hand over the microphone or the platform to those with lived, lived experience. Because what you realise as an academic, that you are expected to do certain things in that role. So, you know, one of the metrics of the whole profession is that you would then write a, a journal article. Um, but what you realise, sadly, <laughs> is that, you know, only a handful of people will ever read that. And when you work in an area and research an area like I do, actually we're trying to understand what is the process of change from addiction to recovery. And if we can take that knowledge and put it into the hands of somebody on that journey sooner, then we can not only help, but actually potentially accelerate the period from kind of struggle and relapse to stable recovery. So there's no point using um, these methods of dissemination that aren't getting into the hands of the right people so with with that in mind what value did it bring to have those voices of lived experience in the project from the start and why was it so important for you to seek those experiences from from the people who own those stories if you're studying a phenomenon I don't have lived experience of those particular issues. So yet, because I've got a PhD in drugs, I'm somehow deemed to be an expert in this area because of my formal educational qualification. And on one level, I clearly possess a lot of knowledge and a lot of skills, but I don't know what they know, <laughs> if that makes sense. And so you go to the people with the experience and a lot of what you understand in these fields is that something called epistemic violence and so that will be uh, the construction of knowledge, that certain forms of knowledge are regarded to be kind of better, superior, more robust as compared to other forms of knowledge. So in Western white society, um, we privilege kind of qualifications and certificates, knowledge that's being gained through certain institutions, as opposed to the university of life. <laughs> 
And so we esteem certain forms of knowledge, but also the methodologies of knowledge as well, the way in which we kind of, the knowledge was gained. Uh, so the scientific approach, if you think back to the whole kind of positivistic kind of school, that if we can kind of uh, scientifically validate that this form of knowledge is reproducible, is scalable, and somebody else could repeat it, that it seemed to be more reliable or valid than a person experiencing a, a series of events and get, and reflecting on that and gaining knowledge. But actually, if you think about your own life and the things that you know, how much of that is gained through formal education <laughs> uh, versus uh, your own reflections and experiences. And, and so for me, I kind of attach a lot of uh, credibility and a lot of value to lived experience. So it would be a no-brainer really to kind of try and write about a topic that I know nothing about without including those with lived experience. They are the experts in my view. They've, they've created this monumental shift from the diction and, and all of the myriad of factors that led to that phase. They've had to wholesale uh, change their identity, change their lifestyle, change their social networks, their relational networks, and oftentimes their employment networks and you know everything in life has changed. So to undervalue the significance of those learnings, in my view, means that we're missing a trip or missing something if we're not including that voice. In your career, do you feel that has been missing historically? Absolutely, yeah. So there's um, very much uh, the hierarchy that I spoke about. If you're talking about a collection of people within a given meeting, um, more space is given on the agenda to those in positions of traditional power with the qualifications than those with with experience. But also I think it's all, it's um, further stigmatizing and it's a form of structural violence that you know we are mar we continue to marginalize certain people's voices and we continue to elevate other people's voices. Um, and I think it's time to make that change. and and thankfully, I think we're beginning to see the beginnings of change you know, that there are now more projects whereby lived experience voices are included. But um, there is a cost, there is a consequence to being affiliated to those forms of research and to those projects that you are somehow looked down upon if you're involved in them, unfortunately. Going back to the project itself, you can see all the submissions at pathwaystorecovery.co.uk. What are some of the themes that came out of the research that was submitted? So when we were doing the, the training, we, we didn't ask the, the researchers of lived experience to present back on certain themes. So it was a very much open question of what has worked in your recovery. But actually what came back time and time again were images and kind of entries related to an acronym called CHIME, which originated in the mental health recovery field by a researcher called Limi et al. CHIME stands for connection, cultivating a sense of hope, of identity, of meaningful activities, and also empowerment. If you go to the website, you will see an awful lot of people who are talking about connection. And that's kind of connections to themselves. So you will read entries where people are kind of journaling or going out every day or weekly in nature and connecting to themselves, kind of becoming aware of what's going on in that internal world. But also it's kind of connection to kind of loved ones and kind of family members and friends. Uh, and, and sometimes that's reconnection. So during addiction, unfortunately, you know, a lot of relationships can become strained and spoiled because of that 
that phase. And so reconciliation in, in those relationships reoccur. Um, and for others, they kind of make new friendships during the recovery journey. So this sense of connection with others, uh, is, it was a strong key finding that came out again and again and again. But also another key finding was around hope. People who were in addiction typically would kind of describe a sense of kind of hopelessness that they felt trapped in that kind of phase. And we know research shows that the addiction kind of career averages around 28 years and four months. That's not for everybody, of course. Oftentimes what accompanies that is very dire circumstances. Often additional kind of traumatic events will occur during that 28 year period. And so of course it's, it's only natural to kind of feel a sense of hopelessness. And so in the recovery kind of submissions that we got, actually that sense of my life has changed or a sense of a vision that they now have for their life uh, and representations of that new life were all over almost every submission that you've got, whether that relates to their job or their family or their living conditions and so on and so forth. The other thing that I'll just kind of comment upon, I won't go through all five, is a new sense of identity. Um, and you really see that kind of blossoming of the new identity in all of the photos, that kind of the radiance of their sense of self now because of their self-esteem, that they know uh, they're no longer living under that kind of shame of that addiction identity. So what's next for this piece of work? What's your hope for the next step? Well, it was really great. Um, so last week I was in Vienna and I was at the United Nations. And so one of the papers I presented was on this very topic around innovations in, in kind of methodological approaches. It's a shame that we have to say it's an innovation. <laughs> it should be standard practice, but we're still in the phase historically where it's called an innovation. And so I was arguing for the need for more of this. And I also launched the website in Vienna at the United Nations, which was fabulous. So for me, it's around how can I spread the word of these types of projects so that other organizations and other kind of policymakers will see the value in them, will come to recognize them, will come to fund them, and will come to kind of uh, do them themselves. And thankfully, on the back of being in, in Vienna, um, we've had a number of conversations with kind of some key global leaders in the field who now are going to invest in uh, their own photo voice project. So I'm really pleased to see that it's, it's reproducing and it's spreading. And that's it. Thanks to David for joining us. You can find the website for the project we've been discussing at pathwaystorecovery.co.uk, link in the description. If you've been enjoying the Project 6 podcast, then we hope you can join us for the Ideas Conference coming to Doncaster, 22nd of June. David will be there joining in one of our panel discussions and we'll have lots of other brilliant speakers from across our sector engaging in discussions about how we can bring more choice, balance and opportunity to people accessing alcohol and other drug services. You can find all the details at project6.org.uk slash conference. We hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.